my first training course that I ever did there, I talked about our product and one guy raised his hand at the end and said, where can I download this for free? <laughs> and maybe it should have been free. Maybe there should have been a, a model that said, we're going to do things in a different way and be more open source and you know, all kinds of possibilities I can speculate about. But Welcome to China Biz Connect, the podcast that explores the fast-changing landscape of business-to-business -business sales and marketing in China with your hosts, Tim Lindemann and Michael Bragan. Today, I will be interviewing our co-host, Michael Bragan, who previously spent an extensive amount of time in China as the Managing Director for Software Productivity Research, Asia Pacific Corporation Limited. Michael, it's great to have you on the show. Great to be here, Tim. Could you begin by telling us a little bit about software productivity research? Yes. The company, also known as SPR, was founded by a researcher and author in the area of software metrics and project management uh, by the name of Capers Jones in the early 1980s. Capers had some theories regarding the predictive capability of certain metrics in the field of software projects and built a tool that was able to take a variety of inputs and produce very accurate estimates of software quality, productivity rates, numbers of defects, and of course, cost and effort. The company operated independently for about 15 years through the late 80s and 90s, at which point Capers semi-retired and sold the firm to several principals, myself being one of those. I assumed responsibility as part of the management team for marketing and developing the product further and expanding to new markets. We built considerable client base in Europe and eventually turned our attention to Asia Pacific. In 2007, I led an initiative to open a China-based office and proceeded to manage the development of the product and its knowledge base in China in conjunction with building a consulting entity that addressed Chinese businesses. So can you tell us a little bit about what interested you in the China market? Well, my first encounter with the Chinese software industry was in 2006 when I was invited to speak at a software metrics conference hosted by the China Software Process Improvement Network, or CSPIN, a Beijing-based organization. I spoke to a crowded room of several hundred project managers and technical staff from very large Chinese organizations, both public and private sector, and was inundated with questions, interest, potential deals, and so on. It was an enlightening experience, very exciting experience. And at that point, decided that it was well worth investigating opening a business entity that addressed that market. So following about a year's worth of research and preparation, I led an initiative to open an office in Beijing 
that was focused on our marketing of our product and addressing training and consulting opportunities. So before you went to China, I think that you also had opportunities to introduce these concepts in other markets. Is that correct? That's correct. But I would say that the difference between the Chinese market and what we had previously encountered in the U.S. and Europe was a level of formality and sophistication about the use of metrics that did not exist in China or was relatively new in China. Okay. So that makes me think that China was a few years behind where we were in the United States at the time? Yes, that's very true. And that growing awareness was leading to a rapid development of capabilities in the area of engineering process. So when you went into the China market, what were your initial expectations? How long did you think you'd you'd need to be there for the business to be a success? Given the level of interest that was expressed in the initial conference that I spoke at and subsequent speaking engagements, it seemed that within 18 months, we'd be able to secure some large organizations and penetrate the defense industry, which was leading the charge for more formal and sophisticated metrics and use of of analytics. So you thought that after 18 months, you'd have a few reference customers that would help you establish a market base? Yes, that's right. And we led the effort by localizing as much as we could of the descriptive material and educational materials and had plans to localize the product as well. And thinking back about it now, do you think that those expectations were realistic? Well, hindsight is twenty twenty. I think that the expectations were a bit optimistic and the other factors that were very difficult to see at the outset had to do with the economics and the business cultural aspects of establishing a foreign-owned consulting and software product company in China. That proved to be much more difficult than anything we had previously encountered in the U.S. or in the European markets that we operated in. So you went into China in 2007 after a successful conference. Can you walk us through some of the initial steps that you made and what the market response was? Out of the initial meetings that I had during that first conference, I managed to find a business partner that understood the concepts behind what we were doing as a company elsewhere in the world, had a fairly comprehensive worldview, and turned out to be an excellent partner from the commercial side and also from the standpoint of mentoring and entry to the Chinese marketplace. That relationship was the foundation for many of the initiatives that we launched in the ensuing year in terms of introductions to potentially interested organizations, both in the public and private sectors. And that was absolutely critical to get a leg up on what we needed to produce for marketing materials and approach to the market. 
So can you tell us a little bit more about this partner? Was it a Chinese national? Did he have a company? Yes, he has a small consulting firm that specializes in engineering process and project management. They actually market a platform tool that supports project management office staff and allows monitoring of ongoing initiatives or projects. His clientele tended to be in the public sector, and he had close associations with the military and defense industry and had been operating for about 10 years as a small consulting firm focused on that business. Yeah, that sounds like a great partner. Yeah, well, can you keep telling us what happened then? So he was able to introduce you to some potential customers? Yes. The company brought us in to several organizations that had apparent needs for addressing engineering process concerns, failed projects, over budget, control of staff, and and so on. And this resulted in a series of educational opportunities where we would provide day-long seminars on the particular aspects of engineering process and optimization. We also, of course, introduced how our tool could address some of the more pressing concerns of organizations and how we had had success in many markets outside the U.S. and inside the U.S. So the lectures that we provided and that was done, those were done by myself, by my partner and by associates that came from the U.S. were very uh, well attended and sparked a tremendous amount of interest. We also had a lot of attention from Chinese firms that were trying to essentially develop uh, competing products and felt the urgency of developing a base in the market to try and overcome the competitive situation. So it sounds like he was really successful in drumming up interest, getting people to fill the seats. And then after you had the opportunity to educate this audience, did your partner also go in and close the sales? Or was this something that he turned over to you guys? It was kind of a mixed bag. We had a an arrangement with this company that uh, paid them a commission on sales, but they were not really in a position to market our product directly. So closing business was really up to us. In the office that we established, we had about 12 full-time people. A third of those were developers that worked on our product offering. A third of them were consultants purely focused on evaluating and analyzing the baseline capabilities of our prospects. And the remaining third were uh, salespeople. So the salespeople were well-versed in closing business with Chinese enterprises, but really had no knowledge of the details of our product or even in 
to the level of sophistication that was necessary for the kind of educational sale that was required. So bridging that gap was very difficult. So you had a Chinese partner, you had a Chinese sales staff, and what was the result? Were you able to get some customers? Well, nominally we had customers that were exploring the potential of using our services for their business. The difficulty was monetizing the relationships that we had. We were able to get in the door, offer training courses that basically covered expenses, but did not create much in the way of profit. And we made very few sales. The trouble that we had, really, the most difficult problem that we encountered was establishing relationships with the right level within a software organization and convincing upper management to do business with us, despite the fact that technical staff and project management staff readily understood that we were able to solve the problem. That was the biggest challenge. So how many years were you operating in China? The business was operating from 2007 until about 2010 in full production mode. So we had a staff of people that were there a bit longer than that because we continued to actually build the product and the collection of data for the knowledge base was handled out of China. It was actually combined with technical staff in the U.S. that had been reduced to a very small number. The heavy lifting of testing was done by the folks in China. The development of algorithms and analytical capabilities were conceived in the U.S. We didn't really ever have a analytical and technical leadership person for the product in China. And that may have been a problem insofar as the understanding of potential customers was that this was a U.S.-based product and may not have addressed all of the necessary points that a Chinese company needed to see. A similar problem was around the website. We used a local company to assist with localization of the website. It was fully translated into Chinese, but the look and feel was very different from what Chinese companies were typically expecting to see. And this was a moving target given where we were in 2008-2009. The expectation was different from anything that I had ever seen in the U.S. What do you mean by that? Chinese commercial websites appeared to be much more dynamic, one might even say flashy, in terms of the way that information was presented than the somewhat austere look of comparable technical and product sites for U.S. companies. And we really never made the leap to a website that was considered typical in China. We felt that that worked 
well because we wanted to portray ourselves as an American company with an American product. But attitudes in China were shifting at the time, not necessarily looking to American companies for technical leadership. And that may have had something to do with the perception of value on the part of Chinese customers and prospects. Interesting. Well, let me run through what my understanding is of your particular Chinese experience. So started out in 2006, you're interested in the China market, you participated in a conference, you got very enthusiastic feedback, you made the decision to do the investment, you opened up the office in China, you found a great partner, a partner who was able to fill the seats for training engagements. And so you had a lot of potential customers out of that. You hired a small team in Beijing. Some of them were technical working on the product. Others were in more of a consultative sales position. However, you struggled in getting to the economic buyer or selling them on the value of the solution and making the sale. And part of that may have something to do with the level of experience or expertise of your sales force. Part of it might have had something to do with the readiness of the market or the way that you're marketing the product. Is that about right? Yes. Yes. I think that sums it up. Okay. So after three years, then you decided to pull out of the market. How did you come to that decision? Well, it was pretty simple, actually. We had hoped to make a certain level of sales volume and supplement that as necessary with external investment from sources in the US and potentially in China. Given the state of the economy at that time, external funding was not an option. It never materialized. And the revenue from business in China was simply not at a sufficient level to maintain an office, rising costs, particularly of salaries, uh, which were very rapidly increasing. And um, we had to make the decision to pull the plug. So what do you think would have happened if you had more investment? Well, critical mass, particularly going into China, is critically important. We made the decision to launch the company with a fairly substantial investment or one that we felt was substantial given knowledge of American business and my personal understanding. It turned out that that was really not sufficient. And had we been able to achieve some level of external investment or made a few more sales, we might have been able to get over that initial hurdle but it was just uh, too much of a gap. Do you think that there is something that you possibly could have done differently other than securing more investment at the start, which would have made a substantial difference in the outcome? The type of business partner that we had on the surface was ideal, but they were not themselves a large volume consulting firm, they did not have more than a 
single location, although the principals were well situated and had a lot of contacts in the network, they were not at the level of widespread consulting business that I think would have made it more successful. For example, there are institutions in the software engineering community in China that are very well positioned to operate within the financial services community and the defense community that are essentially name brands. If we'd been able to ally with those firms as a specialist offering, I think we would have had better success. But we did not have the necessary contacts to make that happen. Yeah, that's very difficult, I think, to go in as a relatively small firm. I, I don't know enough about software productivity research and, and your competitors, your competitors in the United States or in Europe or whatever. But I do know that if you're going in and you're talking to one of those big names, you want to be fairly evenly matched in order to get a good deal from them or for them to treat you seriously. That's very true. So having said that, I mean, it's it's hard to imagine. I, I think you're right when you say that you needed to have a longer term plan and you needed to have more resources up front. I think that that's probably the biggest thing you could have done differently, which would have given you a better chance at success. Yes. Do you think it would have been possible for you to succeed in the China market without establishing an office in Beijing? No, I think that having a physical presence in the country was viewed as an essential commitment on the part of the company. Having Chinese staff that worked with the U.S. side of the business, both on the technical side and on the marketing side, was very important in terms of how we portrayed ourselves to prospects in China. And I don't think that it would have had any level of success without that. The era of parachute companies coming in and offering services to Chinese technical organizations, essentially on a consulting basis, did exist. I think it was very limited in terms of, of time. And there was a growing nationalistic view that Chinese businesses should be well positioned to service other Chinese businesses. So the mystique of the U.S. firm with good connections and history outside of China coming in to save the day was short-lived. And if anything, we caught the tail end of that, but I don't believe it exists any longer. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Okay. Well, I think that that is a, a great overview of, of your story. And it's, it's too bad that it didn't turn out differently. But I do think you learned a lot from this experience. What are some of the things that you took away from this that you think that could help others who are considering entering the China market? Well, first of all, having a Chinese partner that is familiar with marketing to the kinds of prospects that you're hoping to 
cell two is essential, both from the standpoint of concrete advice around the particulars of running a company and marketing that company and web presence, and also from the standpoint of understanding the business culture and how to operate, how to portray one's company and, and offerings in a favorable light and with respect to the local culture. That's first and foremost the primary ingredient for success. It's not the only one. I think it's also necessary to have a business plan that addresses potential risks and get outside advice wherever possible on where those risks may lie, where where the potential pitfalls are. It's not enough to have a good product, and it's certainly not enough to have a product or service that has done well outside of China. China is a very, in some cases, insular and unique market. Knowing what you know about Chinese competitors of today in the 996 culture with working 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week and being an American company, do you think that it's possible for smaller businesses like yours to open up shop and compete against these competitors and be successful? Well, I'm a firm believer in working smarter, not necessarily competing on the basis of how many hours are spent. Uh, I think there's room for companies that have a superior product and intelligence about what the market needs and what can solve pains of businesses in a particular market are. There's no question that hard work and long hours is important, but it's by no means a formula for success on its own. All right. I'm thinking that question over myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a fascinating conversation, Tim. I, you know, I have to say uh, it's been very enlightening to my own memory <laughs> yeah. about this no. to, uh, to, to review this with you. Well, it's a, it's a little bit of a, a brain twister. And my personal feeling here, Michael, is that the timing was right when you entered the market. You entered in when China was a little bit behind. You found a partner that was, in my opinion, a very good match. Somebody who's selling consulting services, which are very difficult to sell in China. A company that had been in business for 10 years selling consulting services for software development. So that shows you that they must have been profitable. And you bringing in a methodology and a technology that was ahead of its time in the China market. So you had your moment, you had your opportunity. And ultimately, I think it comes down to the execution and the localization of the product and of the business. And I think that this is probably what got you. I think that being a Western general manager in the China market puts you at a disadvantage. It certainly put, put us at a huge disadvantage when I was the general manager. And then coming in with a product that you had to localize, that takes a lot of time. You had to move quickly. And what you were saying about the website, I couldn't agree more. When I went to China, I saw the strangest, most ugly looking websites. And I thought, my goodness, we got to teach these people how to 
design a website. <laughs> but to my surprise, they're still that way today and they're kicking our butts. <laughs> right. In China. Absolutely. So that's the wrong mentality. I mean, you have to go in and, and, and understand and learn how they do things there and to adapt your business and your product to their needs and their method. And, and that's, that takes time, that, that whole shift in mentality. If you can pull that off in three years, you're a magic man. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, hubris is one cause of failure for American companies that go into foreign markets in general and listening to advisors and mentors, while it sounds like it would be an obvious thing, is is not, but that's really necessary to pay attention to what people say and what the lay of the land is. And I think I've come a long way. I didn't go in <laughs> as a particularly prideful person, and I, I went in with open eyes, but my mind was changed about a lot of things. And another thing, too, is who you talk to and who you're getting the advice from and talking to that partner of yours, that partner of yours got something out of the relationship. He was able to schedule those training sessions, even getting a nominal fee for them. He was able to increase his reputation through association with this leading American firm. So he was encouraging you to do more. The more you invested, the more you worked with him, the better it was for him. He didn't have to sell any of this, and it still benefited him. Right. So he he was encouraging you. Your Chinese salespeople that you're hiring, yeah, they're encouraging you. They wanted the job. They wanted the opportunity. But it might have been harder if you would have instead gone to the American Chamber of Commerce, networked there, and tried to find another U.S. firm of similar scale that had been in China for a number of years trying to sell software and services and learn from them and what their successes and failures were, you might have gotten a little bit more of a, a balanced message. That's true. And maybe some of the missing pieces were not doing that due diligence. There were certainly foreign competitors. You know, the nationalistic idea of you know, if it's not invented here, it's not really applicable to Chinese business, eventually prevailed. And to their credit, the Chinese still <laughs> feel that way to a large degree. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they won't buy American products and services. I think to a certain extent, it's how you package them. Yes. So I, for example, our company in China right now, we we go by Hongwei Ranjian. So we have a Chinese name. All of the logos of the customers are all Chinese. Our partners are Chinese. We don't have to advertise that we're American in any way, shape, or form. And I think that there are a lot of examples of Chinese using American technologies and a lot of examples of Chinese resellers selling American technologies and making big money out of it. There are, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder how much the prospects and customers of Dimensional Insight realize that it's an American company. 
Yeah. Well, it's in our power to say or to not say. I mean, there was a time back at the beginning, around 2006, when we were getting started, that we said we're an American company and it was really easy to get a meeting with the president of the hospital. Mm -hmm. And those days are gone. <laughs> yeah, they, they really are. And the other thing is that uh, it's a double-edged sword because what I found was a large part of the time that I met with someone, their agenda involved getting enough information about what we did to build a competitive product. That was, I can't tell you the number of times that I would give a lecture, run a seminar, an educational type of thing, and the people, everybody in the front row had a recording device and video <laughs> pointed at my screen and at first, I felt very resentful of that. And then I realized that that was just the way people are used to doing business. And <laughs> my first training course that I ever did there, I talked about our product. And one guy raised his hand at the end and said, where can I download this for free? <laughs> and maybe it should have been free. Maybe there should have been a, a model that said, we're going to do things in a different way and be more open source and you know, all kinds of possibilities I can speculate about. But but that's the game. That's yeah. the game you're playing. That's it. That's it. Well, it's a fascinating story, Michael. I, I really appreciate it. And I think that we've learned a bit in terms of some things that we can take away from this. Michael, thank you very much for being a guest on the show today. It's been a pleasure. And thank you everyone for listening. Music for the podcast is performed by the Chinese experimental rock band Chui Wan. We would love to hear your feedback, ideas, or any questions you might have. Feel free to reach out to us in any way you feel comfortable. Connect with us on LinkedIn or follow us on Twitter. Also visit our website, chinabizconnect.com, where you can view show notes and sign up for our newsletter. Please subscribe to China Biz Connect on iTunes or your favorite place to get podcasts. If you enjoy the show, give us a positive rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.